Hi, KU. Wow, it is so different being in this room. <laughs> I, I heard that I was the only speaker to preach at that other room this semester, right? Um, it seems a lot brighter in here. You guys seem happier in here. Is that true? Are you guys happy? Ooh, okay. All right, so, um, yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Um, this is the like only campus I've been to before a retreat and then after a retreat. Um, so you guys, some of you all d look different. Like, seriously. Um, you guys look happier, <laughs> brighter. <laughs> I'm using the same adjectives. Um, <laughs> but no, really, some of you all look, look different. And um, I, I'm just really honored to preach um, here with this campus. Like, I don't know why I have a special heart for this campus. Um, so I'm really happy to be here. Um, and I believe that God has a special word for you guys today. Do you guys believe that? Amen. All right. So I want to just get right into it. Um, turn to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. And <clears throat> we're going to read from verse 1 to 14. Are you guys there? You guys there? Yes? No? <laughs> Are you guys quiet or shy? <laughs> okay, so um, I like some, you know, I like some interaction in my preaching. Meaning, um, if I, you know, if you guys hear something and you think it's good, say, mmm, that's good. If you, if you like, if you like what I said and you want to hear it again, say, say that again. Okay, so I, I like some interaction. So you guys can be vocal and be as loud as you want, okay? Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read Second uh, Kings uh, 5, verse 1 to 14 with you. So just stay re with me, okay? It says, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to uh, Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who, was, who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he's seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elijah's house. And Elijah sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, 
I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. The title of my message is, The Little Things Matter. Today I want to talk about how the little things, the seemingly insignificant things that carry great breakthrough. You know, many people think that the little things aren't that important. That one penny, one minute, does not really matter or make much of a difference. But one minute can make all the difference when you're trying to catch an airplane. When you need to use the bathroom and someone's taking a long time, you know what I mean? One penny can make a huge difference when that that cashier's looking at you like, I know it's one dollar and one cent, you better give him that penny, right? So, so all that little things, it makes a big difference. So I'm here to say that they're not only important, but it's the little things that make all the difference. In fact, if you pay attention to the little things, it will carry your breakthrough. If you have regard for the things that appear seemingly insignificant, it will lead you to your destiny. If you are keen and alert to the things that other people naturally overlook because it's so small, it will put you on a whole new level. I want to pray for us before we begin. God, I just lift up to you tonight. And I thank you, Father, that through all the changes, no matter what happened, that tonight is a word that you have specifically for the individuals here. So, Lord, I just speak your spirit tonight, and I ask, Father, for your anointing. And I ask, Father, that as we come and encounter you, that people will experience the love of God. People will encounter the very character and nature of God. And that, Lord, that as we see you and as we know you, that we will run to become more like you. So, Lord, we ask for for your spirit, and we thank you, God, that you are here and your heart burns for Korea University. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. So in this passage, we have a man named Naaman, and the thing is, he's actually not an Israelite, meaning he's not um, the, the people group that God says, this is my chosen race, okay? So he's not within that promised group, um, and What's even worse is he's from a man of another kingdom that constantly attacks the Israelites, okay? So this man is, belongs to the kingdom of Syria that uh, on and off comes and always, like, fights with the Israelites. Um, but even though this man does not know God and even though this man fights with his chosen people, uh, in the Bible it says that Naaman is a great man. They call him an honorable man. But he has one thing holding him back. He's a leper. So even though he's so loved, he's high in command, the king shows unusual favor to him, he is a leper. Do you guys know what a leper is? A skin disease, right? Um, 
So in one of his battles, uh, he fought the Israelites and he carries off a little girl and he gives this girl as a gift to his wife and say, hey, you serve her. Okay, this is your mistress now. And as the little girl is serving the wife, um, you know, Naaman's like walking to the kitchen. And then he overhears this little girl say, oh, mistress, if our Lord knew the prophet in Samaria, meaning if he knew that man that is well known, a prophet, a man of God in Israel, he would be cured of his leprosy. So Naaman is overhearing this. and He goes, what? What are you talking about? I can be cured? There's hope? For me to be cured, you know, back then, if you were a leper, it meant that you will always be a leper and you will die like that. Um, So he was like, there's hope. I didn't even know there was hope. So he goes straight to the king of Israel, uh, Syria, and says, hey, this little girl from Israel told me that I can be cured. Can I go? And the king loves him, okay, loves him because he won all of the battles. Um, He goes, what? There's hope for you to be cured? Go right now. In fact, I'm going to write a letter to you. Like, get the scribes away from me. I'm going to write it with my own hand because I love you, okay? And you can go straight to the land of Israel. So he goes. He takes some gift. He takes the handwritten letter from the king. And then he goes to the king of Israel and says, here. Here's my gift. Here's my letter. Take it. So the king of Israel, he opens the letter. He reads it. And then the letter says, this is my servant whom I love. I want you to cure him. And what does it say in the word? That the king of Israel read this and he tore his robes. Now in the Old Testament, it's like very dramatic. So when, when you tear your robes, right? It means that you are in utter despair. Like you are stressed to the max, right? So he's so stressed, he tears his robe and he goes, are you crazy? Who am I? That do you think I can raise someone from the dead? Like, can I cure this person of his leprosy? What is this king of Syria thinking? Uh, I know. This king of Syria sent him to me so he can test me. Obviously, I'm going to fail this test. So he's now going to use this to say, hey, you couldn't cure my person. I'm going to go to war with you. So this king of Israel is thinking like this. And then the prophet of Samaria, his name is Elijah. Okay, so Elijah is very well known. Um, And Elijah hears that the king tore his robe and Elijah goes, what? Why did you, why did you tear your robe? Do you not know that you are the king of, of the nation of Israel, the nation that believes in God? Relax, you don't have to be so stressed, okay? Send, send Naaman to me, I'll take care of it. So Naaman goes over to where Elijah is and as he's going, he is so excited. He's oh snap. I'm going to get healed of my disease. Like I heard so many stories about Elijah. I heard that he rains down fire from heaven. What is he going to do with me? Is he going to like wave his hand and be like, leprosy be cured, you know? So he's thinking about all these things and he's getting hyped up. Like, oh, I can't wait for this like heavenly rain. Gold might fall down, you know? Like I can't wait for this. I'm going to surely be healed. And, you know, you have to understand that Naaman is is like the right-hand man of the king of Syria, meaning like he is a very high-level guy. So when Naaman walks through, people notice, right? Probably guys want to be like him. People respect him. He is used to being shown honor. Um, so, so Naaman, he's like, I cannot wait because as soon as I go to Elijah, this prophet, he will come and give his best to me. He's going to 
open up the heavens, the gates of heaven, heavenly rain is going to pour down and all of these things. But the thing is, Elijah did not even come out to meet him. Naaman is standing there and he's like, Elijah, where are you? But Elijah says to his, one of his servants, hey, go outside, give him a note. So he comes, and then Naaman's like, are you Elijah? He's like, no, I'm not. Here's this note, and then goes away. <laughs> what, 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 what is this, right? So he opens the note, and he is so angry. Like, how can Elijah himself not come out to meet me? So, you know, earlier I talked about how it's the little things, the little things that give you your breakthrough. So I want to ask you a question. How can we receive breakthrough through the seemingly insignificant things? Step one, throw away your entitlement. Throw away your entitlement. Naaman felt entitled to get his breakthrough. I've been serving at this Emmaus campus ministry for two years. Oh, snap, something better happened to me. Mm. I've been setting up chairs, cleaning up the sanctuary, leading praise. God better open up the heavens and speak to me. I have been coming out and obeying to every word that Eunice says. God better speak to me. I went to retreat two weeks ago. I better be on a whole new spiritual level. But when Naaman went to the door and Elijah did not even come out, in fact, he gave him a note. Naaman was like, what are you talking about? This is it? The note said, go wash yourself in the Jordan River seven times and you will be clean. So when he saw that, he goes, Jordan River? Like, are you kidding? Do you know how dinky and nasty that Jordan River is? Do you not know that... uh, Farpar and other rivers of Damascus, there are greater rivers there rather than Israel. What are you telling me? Go to the Jordan River. And as Naaman was enraged, he was so angry, he actually, in verse 11, says he went away. I am not going to do this. I'm so angry. I'm so, I'm so offended. I'm not going to do this. You know, sometimes, sometimes we think like that, like, oh, snap, this is the speaker that's coming to retreat. I know amazing things will happen. Oh, wow. Pastor Anna Rowe is coming to large group. Wow, it's going to be incredible. (laughs) You know, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't have these expectations. In fact, one of our core values, you know, is dream big and expect big. And God will actually honor you for your faith. But the key is not to be offended when God doesn't meet us in the way that we want him to. So that's step two. Do not hold offense. Don't hold offense if God doesn't meet you in the way you expect him to. The offense you hold against God will blind you to the breakthrough that is right in front of you. Um, So when I first came to New Philly, you know, we were attending New Philly Church, and uh, the first retreat I went to for New Philly was actually our leadership retreat. 
And at this leadership retreat, um, they do healing and deliverance. And I know some of you guys went to Eunice's seminar at the retreat, right? Healing and deliverance seminar. And it's basically where you confess your sins and then you receive freedom and breakthrough uh, through the confession of your sins, knowing that you are forgiven by God. Okay? Um, so, like, I recommend you guys to do it because it's powerful. Um, and I remember going up to that leadership retreat, I was actually terrified because like you're confessing sins that like I've confessed sins that I've never told anyone. Right. So I remember like so terrified that uh, like, but I also wanted this opportunity. Like I've never told anyone. I feel, you know, like I want to tell someone, um, I was still craving that freedom, but still scared. So I remember thinking I'm going to tell, um, everything. I'm going to confess everything. And then I'm going to move churches. (laughs) Like that's what I thought. I'm going to move. That's it. And um, I went to, like, I went to that session and I obeyed my leaders because they said, you know, share everything. It is going to, like, bring your freedom and breakthrough. And I was like, okay. So I shared everything. And I remember I felt so raw. Like, there's two kinds of, I think, freedom that comes. Like, instant freedom where you just feel, wow, like, I feel completely, like, change like instantly right and then there's others where it comes gradually so for me it was more gradual but at that moment i just felt so raw and i I felt kind of cheated by the leaders like they were saying share everything and i obeyed but then i didn't get the freedom that they promised the freedom that they guaranteed so actually that night i remember the first song that we sang at that evening session was you know that song you're free to run you know that song so I was sitting there in the back, and everyone is feeling their freedom. So that, that song is powerful. Like they're jumping up and down, like, yeah, we're free to run. But I'm sitting there in the back, like, I'm not free to run. I'm not free to dance. You know, I was so offended. And I was like, oh, snap, I'm definitely moving now, you know? Um, so I went, I was about to go to sleep, very offended by God. And very offended by people. <laughs> um, and... Um, my small group leader, who was not at my session at that time, she came back and she said, Anna, I want you to tell me everything that uh, you shared at that session because I was not there. And I was like, heck no, I am not telling you again. You know, like I'm not going to repeat again. Like I already shared once. I didn't feel anything. Why should I share again? But I felt God like tell me like, Anna, obey, obey again obey again and share. And I really didn't want to, but I obeyed like that small step. I was like, really, God, are you sure? I obeyed the first time it didn't happen, but he's like, obey again. So I took that step and I told her. And actually when I told her, I felt like, Hey, it's kind of different. Like, Oh, huh. I feel a little, I feel kind of free, you know? And I was like, okay. And then the next day I remember um, a group of my close girlfriends, Eunice included, we uh, went and to dinner and then we all went around sharing like what we shared uh, because we were in like a covenant friendship. You know what I mean? So like we knew we were like in good, safe type of relationship. So we ended up being very open and vulnerable. But when it came to my turn, I was like, I'm not going to share. I don't want to share. Like why again? And then I felt God say again, obey, share, be vulnerable. And I was like, uh, this is not the like freedom type of freedom that I'm experiencing. You know, why is, why do you keep telling me to share God? And, but still I listened. It, it seemed like a small thing, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to listen. 
So I shared again, and then that time, the third time I opened up, I like, I think that night, like all of us were crying. <laughs> we're like, God loves you. I believe in the best for you. Like, and then I felt love and acceptance um, through people in ways I've never experienced before. Like, man, these people around me, they know the worst I've done. They know the worst of me, but they say that they still love me. Like, oh man, that was a whole new level of acceptance I've never experienced before. So from that moment, with just a small step of obedience, like, it was a gradual walk of freedom where now I, the past sins and the habitual sin patterns, it doesn't hurt me anymore. It doesn't hold its power against me anymore because of that small step to obey. So it is the small things, the small things that God says, whatever your leader says, to obey, it is your breakthrough that will come. You know, as Naaman went away in anger, he was like, I'm not doing this. Forget it. I'm going back home. His servants actually came to him and said, hey, my Lord, this is actually a great word from the prophet. He actually gave you a simple word. What hurts in trying it out? Let's just see. What's the worst it can happen? If you do it and nothing becomes of it, then... You're not healed? Hey, you're already a leper. Yeah, anyways, you know? So, like, this is actually, why don't you try it out? Obey the word that the prophet gave you. And I feel like, you know, we kind of, we kind of have this attitude. Like, will you not do it? You know, if you're familiar, if your familiar leader said, hey, I want you to read one chapter uh, of the Bible every day. Will you not do it because it's so small? If you're, if your uh, student leader said, hey, I want you to come out to 615 prayer meeting every day, every Tuesday, will you not do it because it's so small? <laughs> oh, this interaction thing is different. Um, you know, so if, if we have this attitude, I feel like, like we are blinded to the things, to the breakthroughs that are right in front of us. Many of us have this attitude of, I'm going to wait until I'm famous to lead people to Christ. I'm going to wait until I'm a billionaire to start giving money to the poor. I'm going to wait until I am a high leader to start serving and ministering and praying for people. I'm going to wait until all of these things, and then, God, I will listen to you. But God is not asking you that question. God is saying, hey, will you listen to the ordinary things, the mundane things that are right in front of you now? Will you pay attention to the small things that I have given you, and will you store that well? Turn to Proverbs chapter 30, 24 to 28 with me. Proverbs chapter 30, 24 to 28. Um, I will read the even, and I want you guys to read the odd, okay? Are you guys there? Okay. Proverbs 30, 24 to 28. Okay, I'll read. <clears throat> Four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. The rock badgers are people not mighty, yet they make their homes in the cliffs. The lizard you can take in your hands, yet it is in king's palaces. So in this uh, passage, God talks about four uh, very, very small creatures. 
but he says that they hold wisdom. You know, so when you plainly read this text, like the rock, bad, the rock badger, uh, the ant, the locust, who says in here, I want to be a locust. I want to be an ant. Do you guys say that? No, because they're so puny, right? They're so small. But God says, hey, actually, even though they're mad small, they are mad wise, okay? Everyone say that, mad small, but mad wise. Okay, so I'm going to read 24 and 25 again because I think there's something that God wants to teach us about ants. Okay, it says, Four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. It says here that the ant is not strong, yet collects its food in the summer, meaning that the ants don't take abundance when it's good summer days. They don't take abundance as an excuse to be lazy. They don't look at the plenty that they have now and allow themselves to lie around and soak in the present moment. Instead, in the summertime, they work. Little by little, they collect and store up food. So when the winter hints, hits, they are not on the brink of starvation. The ants could not store all of their food supply in one day. They had to do it little by little, day by day, increasingly. And then when they look back, wow, we have all of this to last the whole winter. You know, I feel like um, in that mentality of we ha- we're okay now. We're safe now. Nothing is going on now. We have abundance now. Some- sometimes we live our lives like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read five chapters a day and pray for two hours. And then you're done for the entire month. I'm going to go to the retreat and I'm good for the whole year. I'm good for the whole semester. You know, and I'm not saying that your, your uh, relationship with God is measured by your quality time, your QTs with God. But at the same time, you need to start with something. So when, when your leaders say, hey, read at least one chapter a week or one chapter a day, it is giving you something to start with. You know, when Jesus multiplied the food and fed 5,000, he didn't say food appear right? He he didn't go like that. What did he have? He had five loaves of bread and two fish from a very little boy. But it was through that small thing that he actually fed 5,000. Jesus had something. And many people looked at it. The disciples looked at it and said, what are you going to do with that? It's not even going to feed us. But Jesus took it and he multiplied it. When you take and obey the little things that are in front of you, God will multiply it. And he will make your testimony great. Um, so a couple, I think like a year ago, I read this book that like really changed my life. Uh, this book is called The Slight Edge. Okay, The Slight Edge. And it's a secular book, meaning it's not a Christian book. So eat the meat, throw out the bones. But it really challenged me to um, think about my everyday life my everyday, ordinary life. And uh, Jeff Olson, uh, the author of the book, he talks about how to live a successful life. And the thing that set me free as I was reading the book, like he kept reading, like repeating over and over again, was the successful people in this world are not successful because of intelligence, because of talent, of family, or money, but they are successful because they do the little seemingly insignificant things that do not matter to anyone else. Okay? Uh, meaning, 
if you are not that smart, if you are not that talented or gifted, it's for you. Okay, I'm just kidding. Um, it's, it's, don't have to worry because basically it is the little things that will set your life apart. Okay? So let me give you an example. Jeff Olson begins by saying um, in, he barely made it to college. He was like a very poor grade average student. And when he got there, he succeeded from going from a C average to a D average. And then once he got to a D average, he decided to take a career being a beach bum. So he moved to California and then, oh, I just want to be a beach bum. I have gorgeous blonde hair. That's what I want to be. So he lived that for a while and then he's like, oh, I need a job. So he ended up <clears throat> cutting grass at a golf course. And then all of a sudden, one day it hit him. When he saw people his age, his same age, like at that expensive golf resort, he said, hey, how come they are putting and I am cutting? And he's like, if they can do it, they don't look that, you know, all put together to me. If they can do it, I can do it. So he quit his job, went back to school, and then he succeeded in becoming an A student, graduated with honors, uh, ran his own business, became CEO. That's crazy, right? But it doesn't end there. He just, he became CEO, and then he became bankrupt, and then he lost his business. And then he pulled himself back up together again, and then ran his own business. And as he was at the top, he looked back at his life, and he realized, wow, I went from one end to the other to the other. He just kept bouncing back. And he said, as he was looking at his life, he found a pattern. And the pattern is this. It wasn't his intelligence or wealth that brought him up to the top, but rather it was the little things that he chose to do every day that gradually compounded over time. Okay, meaning the key to what successful people do are the simple things that are easy to do. For example, you guys are college students, right? What is the easiest thing to do as a college student? It's to go to class. You don't have to study. It's just to show up to class, right? That's the easiest thing to do. But how come if that is the easiest thing to do, people are, there's a, nine, there's a study of 95% people failing or falling short and then 5% success rate of people after they graduate college. How come? Because these easy things to do, if you go to class, study for two hours a day, just, you know, regular basis, the little simple thing, if you do that, it is very easy to do, but it is also easy not to do. Do you get it? It's easy to do, but at the same time, it's easy not to do. You know, when you um, take away all of the successful people's and the whatever, if you take away all their like social status, location, housing, jobs, all of that, people are the same, right? Everyone eats, sleeps, talks, feels, all of that. But why is there a difference? Because some people choose to see those little insignificant things as factors of what it takes to be successful. Remember, it's the little things, the things that are easy to do and not to do, that will transform your life. So if you want to start being healthy, it is very easy to go to McDonald's and just to eat every day. And it's going to be very comfortable eating McDonald's. Pay my money. I don't even have to 
you know, throw away my, separate my trash. I can just throw it away. But very soon, it will become uncomfortable. Okay, so even, um, like, I remember I tried this out, and I got good, but then I kind of gave up. Um, but, like, even push-ups. I can't really do that much of a push-up, okay? But I remember I tested out this theory of, man, I'm going to start with one push-up a day. That's it. One. And then the next day, two. The next day, three. Next day, you know, keep going. And then eventually those little things, if you keep it up every day, you are bound to do very good push-ups. And you're bound to get stronger. I had a small group uh, member in Pusan, and she was, she's a trainer. She said when she first started working out, it was very hard. In fact, she had to do it every day. Like she took it little by little every day, and she was very like, like flabby and was not fit. But because she kept at it every single day for 30 minutes a day, for three to five years, now she's fit. She's strong. She is, man, she's the best body I've ever seen. Um, I knew Philly, but like she's so strong. And she said, now the only thing I have to do is I have to maintain it. Because I've established that foundation, I just have to maintain it. So it's the little things that are uncomfortable now, it will eventually become comfortable later. It is the power of little insignificant things. You know, Naaman said, why do I have to go to the rivers of Jordan? The rivers in Damascus are a lot better. But it is through the obedience of these things that Naaman got his breakthrough. So step three for you to do is obey the little things. Obey the little things. In 2 Kings verse 5, or chapter 5, verse 14, okay, I want us to read this together, actually. Uh, 2 Kings verse, chapter 5, verse 14. Are you guys there? <laughs> I feel like I'm asking that a lot. Let's read it together, okay? Ready? One, two, three. So Naaman went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. How many of us don't obey the voice of God because it doesn't meet our requirement of the way we want God to speak to us? How many of us don't listen to the voices of our leaders because there is a different way we want to live our lives? How many of us choose not to go after the things that seem insignificant because we think there's no harm. But we cannot afford to be ignorant. If Naaman went back to Syria without listening to Elijah, he would have gone home still a leper. Not only did he get completely healed of his leprosy, later on it says that he was completely overtaken by the miracle of his healing, that he said, I am not going to offer any more burnt offerings to the God that the king of Syria worships. I want to worship this God, this living God that healed me. I will worship you. This man that was not an Israelite, he saw the living God work at him because he chose to obey. And through that, he received salvation. Through that, he became in contact with the living God. And I feel like for us, God is saying, you cannot afford to miss the little things that are in front of you. 
you know, I wish I heard this message when I was a kid because I feel like I would have looked at my everyday life in a different way. Instead of looking for retreats or looking for big events or looking for one huge thing to happen, I would have looked at my every day and said, God, what are you doing now? What do you want me to do now? What kind of uh, habits do you want me to set now? Because I know that later on, a couple years down the road, it will accelerate me in a whole new way. You know, when, when I started, uh, when I was in college, I knew the biggest thing that really I struggled with spiritually was reading the Bible every day. Like, honestly, I could not do it. It was really hard. And I, I told myself one day, man, I am so tired of going up and down with this. I am going to not graduate college until I learn how to do this. So, like, I was committed, okay? Like, God, I commit to you reading one chapter a day. I just, I just said, I commit. This is my commitment. And I remember in that season, I did that every day, every day. Gradually, I read one chapter, two chapters, three chapters. I went from praying, I couldn't pray five minutes to 20 minutes. When I went to Haiti, I prayed for five hours. And that's not because like I want to boast to you. It's because, hey, I really couldn't do it. I really couldn't. But through that one thing, God was like, why don't you take time to meet with me today? Ten minutes. I obey that. Why don't you take time to meet with me today for 20 minutes? Why don't you lay aside time and meet with me for a little longer? And now I look back and say, man, I was that person that struggled. But because I committed Because I chose to see the little things, God broke through. Um, I want you guys to close your eyes. I feel like there are two kinds of people in here tonight. The first type of people are people that have already been obedient in the small things. You have been faithfully coming out. You have been faithfully going to large groups, familia, church on Sundays, listening to uh, whatever your leaders tell you. And you have just been saying, God, I see the little things. I want to do it. And I'm hungry for you. But I feel like you've gotten to a place of, man, what's the point? I do this. I go to class. It doesn't even have to be spiritually. I save my money. I save, you know, $20 every month. I do this little thing, but what's the point? What's the point if I pray for 10 minutes a day? What's the point of doing this little thing day after day? But I feel like today God has a grace for breakthrough. And it is through the little things that God really wants to break through and encounter you tonight. And really what God wants to do is give you vision. Hey, when you do the little things that are in front of you, you're going to do more and more.